This is the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. The podcast for curious and passionate dental hygienists. Hello, Kara from Today's RDH here. Before jumping into today's episode, I want to thank Philips Oral Healthcare, the makers of Sonicare, for sponsoring this episode. Some patients think their oral health only affects their mouth, but as dental professionals know, research shows that periodontal disease is associated with diabetes and cardiovascular diseases, among other systemic conditions, making our role as dental professionals that much more important. Philips knows this is a big deal, which is why they make solutions and resources to help patients care for their mouths, as good oral health is integral to overall health. Get these chairside resources at philipsoralhealthcare.com. You missed a spot. 11 OSHA and infection control details dental professionals don't want to overlook. By Caitlin Machado, RDH, BS, MED, FADHA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that OSHA and infection control are crucial pillars of what we do each and every day in dentistry. It's federally mandated, enforced by law, that employers provide OSHA training when an employee starts the job, and at least yearly thereafter. In some states, continuing education courses in infection control are required for relicensure, too. Through the fast pace of our profession, sometimes the small details may be lost. Here are 11 OSHA and infection control details that dental professionals don't want to overlook. 1. Understand your sterilization equipment. The sterilization process is not a one-size, or in this case, one-cycle-fits-all. Each autoclave, ultrasonic bath, and everything in between varies based on the manufacturer, model, or version. Some autoclaves require more time to sterilize than others. In whatever setting you work in, consult the specific manufacturer's instructions and sterilization processes. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, manufacturer's instructions should be readily available. You can also look up the manufacturer name and model of the equipment to easily find the user's manual. Be sure to discern how to sterilize equipment pouches, paper or plastic side up, according to the manufacturer's instructions. Regularly monitor sterilization equipment, such as autoclaves, to ensure that they're functioning properly. This may include weekly biological spore testing. The CDC recommends that sterilization is best monitored using a combination of mechanical, chemical, and biological indicators. Two, ensure you're wrapping and bagging instruments correctly. First, you need to be safe through this process. When bagging instruments, it's important to use sterilization pouches that are properly sized and not too small. If you're bagging multiple instruments and you're struggling to stuff them all in, size up. You can use a smaller bag if it's only an instrument or two. Don't forget to not overfold your sterilization bag past the indicated fold line when sealing. In addition, make sure the bag is not punctured before or after the sterilization process. If wrapping instruments, ensure all instruments are put into place and not poking out before closing your cassette. This isn't only a safety issue. Instruments not properly placed can also pierce the wrap. If there's any damage or puncture to the wrap or bag or whatever you're using, instruments can't be used and they need to be re-sterilized. 3. Transport contaminated instruments to sterilization safely. According to the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, contaminated instruments must be safely transported to the sterilization area. OSHA states that instrument transport should occur immediately or as soon as possible after use. Additionally, OSHA states the instruments must be transported in a container that is puncture-resistant and leak-proof on all sides and bottom. During transport, full personal protective equipment should be worn. 
burn. This isn't only safe for you, but those around you. This avoids injury if you're accidentally bumped into. OSHA notes that if these containers, for example, contaminated instruments, sharps containers, are leaving the facility, they need to be color-coded, fluorescent orange or orange-red, or labeled with the biohazard icon. 4. Properly clean and disinfect non-critical environmental surfaces. The CDC categorizes patient care items based on their potential risk of transmission of infection when used. The categories include non-critical, semi-critical, and critical. Non-critical environmental surfaces are further categorized as housekeeping and clinical contact surfaces. Clinical contact surfaces can be contaminated by spatter, spray, or aerosols generated during patient care or by a clinician's hands during treatment. If disposable barriers are not used, clinical contact surfaces should be cleaned and disinfected between patients with an Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, registered hospital disinfectant with an HIV or HBV claim, low-level disinfection, or if visibly soiled and intermediate level. For example, tuberculocytal claim disinfectant should be used. Keep in mind that there's a difference between cleaning and disinfecting your dental unit, and both must be done. There's a reason for that. Cleaning involves physically removing blood and inorganic and organic matter that interferes with the germicidal activity of a disinfectant. Wipe surfaces at least twice, once to dust and clean, and the second to disinfect. The CDC states, if a surface is not clean first, the success of the disinfection process can be compromised. Clinical contact items that you might use include disposable barriers, pens, the radiograph unit, or dental unit handles. If visibly contaminated with blood or other potentially infectious materials, an intermediate-level disinfectant should be used. Non-critical housekeeping surfaces include floors, walls, and sinks. These items have less risk of disease transmission, and they can be decontaminated with less vigorous methods compared to clinical contact and patient care items. Since the COVID-19 pandemic, many people have become familiar with what we refer to as non-critical environmental surfaces. But as a dental professional, take a step back and see what not only you or the people you work with touch, but also what the patients touch. For example, if a patient points to a tooth that's bothering them in their mouth, what else do they touch afterward? Anything they touch could be contaminated because they put their fingers in their mouth. 5. Know the details about the disinfection products you use. Like sterilization, the products you clean and disinfect your operatory are also not one-size-fits-all. Look at specific properties, such as kill time, amount of contact time to disinfect properly. Certain products require more contact time than others to properly disinfect and kill TB, bacteria, fungi, and viruses. Keep in mind to avoid mixing or combining disinfectant products when using sprays and wipes together. Mixing different disinfectants can create fumes that could be dangerous to breathe in. 6. Sterilize handpieces in between patients. Though slow-speed hygiene handpieces are considered semi-critical, according to the CDC, handpieces that attach to dental unit air or water lines should be sterilized in between patients. The internal motor can become contaminated by retracting oral fluids, then expelled during later uses. So, surface disinfection alone is not acceptable. Don't forget to lubricate handpieces if the manufacturer's instructions state that they require it. You can use either a maintenance unit that automatically lubricates your handpiece or lubricate by hand. 7. Maintain eyewash stations. Eyewash stations are required in workplaces that use corrosive chemicals in HBV and HIV research facilities and in workplaces that pose a risk of eyes being splashed with poor 
0.1% or greater formaldehyde, or in any workplace where materials may cause injury or infection of the eyes. In addition to providing an eye wash station, OSHA recommends proper maintenance to reduce the risk of contamination with organisms such as acanthamoeba, pseudomonas, and legionella. If eye wash stations aren't properly maintained, they can do more harm than good through the organisms coming into contact with an injured eye or inhaling organisms that could potentially cause a serious illness. Refer to the manufacturer's instructions for proper maintenance. 8. Don't forget water lines and traps. The CDC gives a great explanation of why it's crucial to maintain your water lines properly. They state that biofilm and bacteria commonly occur in dental unit water lines because of the long, small diameter tubing and low flow rates used in dentistry, the frequent periods of stagnation, and the potential for retraction of oral fluids. OSHA has multiple guidelines in terms of water line maintenance. First, the water source needs to meet the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA drinking water standards. You should also review the manufacturer's recommendations for your specific dental unit and equipment, tablet systems, continuous release straws and cartridges, initial and periodic shock treatments, and centralized systems are common waterline treatment products. Dental traps should be regularly replaced if they're disposable. If not replaced, you may notice your suction's not working as well. When suction isn't properly functioning and it's less powerful, this could then lead to poorly controlled aerosols and splatter. Studies show the need for greater than or equal to 250 liters per minute of airflow rate to ensure proper function to reduce aerosols. Smaller line diameter affects the airflow rate, reducing efficacy. As you can imagine, lines that are clogged with biofilm and debris will be narrower and reduce airflow rate. Check the manufacturer manual for specific guidance for your unit's trap. 9. Avoid backflow. This is a huge one for me and a very common oversight providers forget about. Kissing Mr. Thirsty may be causing possible harm to your patients. Having patients close their lips around the suction changes the pressure in the suction line and results in the risk of suck back or backflow. There are many products on the market to reduce the risk of backflow that can be easily implemented and added to suction, such as a saliva ejector adapter. On a positive note, I have noticed more continuing education courses focusing on waterline maintenance and backflow avoidance. 10. Ensure proper disposal and safety of sharps. Used local anesthesia carpules and needles should be disposed of in the proper container. According to OSHA, unbroken carpules are not required to be disposed of in a sharps container, but you may also need to consider your state's requirements and regulations. Sharps containers should be labeled correctly, readily available, and as close to the area where sharps are being used. Don't dispose of sharps in a full sharps container to avoid self-injury. Speaking of needles, double-check how you handle your syringe and needle before and after injecting. Are you recapping safely? OSHA recommends using the scooping technique or a recapping device, of which many different types are available. Don't use two hands to recap a needle. 11. Are your first aid and medical kits ready if there's a medical emergency? Next time you're in the office or workplace, take a look at your first aid and medical kits. Are there expired items in there? Is everything stocked up? If there was a medical emergency, are the required items present in the kits? OSHA does not specify what needs to be included in a first aid kit, and this can be state-specific. OSHA states, employers should access the specific needs of their worksite periodically and augment the first aid kit appropriately. However, the American Dental Association, ADA, has created some recommendations for help. For basic emergency kits, the ADA recommends portable oxygen cylinder, E-size with regulator, supplemental oxygen delivery devices, nasal cannula, 
non-rebreathing mask with oxygen reservoir, nasal hood, bag valve mask device with oxygen reservoir, oropharyngeal airways, adult sizes 7, 8, and 9 centimeters, McGill forceps, automated external defibrillator, AED, stethoscope, sphygmomanometer, with adult small, medium, and large cuff sizes, wall clocks with second hand, epinephrine, diphenhydramine, histamine blocker, nitroglycerin, bronchodilator, for example, albuterol, glucose, and aspirin. In addition, disposable razors are a good idea to keep handy next to the AED. Considering the opioid crisis, including naloxone, Narcan, in your medical emergency kit might be something your office wants to consider. In closing, each office, clinic, or workplace is different, but the quality of infection control should be the same. It's part of the standard of care that we first learned about in dental hygiene school. The goal and the pledge is to do no harm, so don't let these small details get lost. Before you leave, check out the Today's RDH Self-Study CE courses. All courses are peer-reviewed and non-sponsored to focus solely on high-quality education. You can find out more by visiting dentalce.todaysrdh.com. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode sponsored by Philips Oral Healthcare. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, oral health is associated with systemic health. That's why Philips is your partner in comprehensive care. With their educational resources and innovative solutions, you can get the tools to educate patients about the oral systemic link, and patients can get the tools to improve their oral care at home. Learn more about Sonicare Power Toothbrushes and more solutions and access useful chairside resources by visiting philipsoralhealthcare.com or calling 800-422-9448 today. Thank you for listening to the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 